Hi everyone, Anthony Fantano here, internet's busiest music nerd, here with a very special episode in this new edition of the podcast. I have a fellow YouTuber, a fellow critic, but in a totally different artistic medium, one Mr. Chris Stuckman, who has a fantastic YouTube channel that I will link you down to in the description box where he regularly reviews movies of numerous genres, gives very well-balanced and well-thought-out opinions, and... I just thought I would bring him on because, what well, one, because over the past few months I've grown to be uh, a fan of his, but also I think it would just be great to sort of pull two different critics of two different mediums together and just kind of discuss exactly what separates those mediums and what it means to be a music critic versus a movie critic and just kind of a critic in general. Well, thank you, man, for having me on. I appreciate that, and uh, I'm flattered that you enjoy my videos. That's very kind of you. Thank you so much. I do. I mean, I, I, I thought that, uh, in, in your videos, you just come off real passionate. You come off knowledgeable. And I mean, though, you know, you don't try to portray this false idea that I think a lot of critics try to, that, that they know everything. Um, and, uh, to, to, to sort of, I guess, uh, pregame this interview, I watched that whole video that you did on just film criticism in general. And it was awesome that you sort of brought up Siskel and Ebert because that was a bit of an inspiration for me personally because I didn't really grow up reading music magazines. But, I, you know, I know there are a lot of music writers who have, but I, I didn't really grow up reading music magazines. I mean, w- watching stuff like Siskel and Ebert just come off as very knowledgeable but personable, you know, was... Uh, I don't know, just just so much more inspiring for me. I mean, even when they would rip a movie apart, there was there was some kind of like hilarity to it. Or even when they would sort of say a movie is mediocre or lackluster, sort of a, a one review that comes to mind is like when they were reviewing uh, some of the Home Alone movies, which I, I remember they thought were incredibly bad <laughs> or just like vi- like very mediocre. Yeah. But even even in the review, they were like, "Listen, like we don't like these, but we know that like all the kids in America will hate us for not liking them." Of you course. know, sort of acknowledging the public opinion as as sort of being legitimate and different from your own. You know, that 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 kind of stuff to me is just more inspiring as a critic because it doesn't sound like you know a, a critic kind of in the stereotypical sense. It sounds like you're a fan. Yeah, and that's exactly how I feel. I've never ever approached movies or or really anything and been like I'm just this snooty guy who just knows all this I have all this information um I'm constantly and this is the absolute truth I am constantly surprised that people watch my videos I I am as well (laughs) I uh I I I am as well because I mean I kind of and and I don't mean to surprise people watch your videos I'm surprised that people watch my videos sometimes right no I understand I, I, I I still feel like I'm a regular guy sometimes. That's exactly you know, how I like, feel. When I went to Comic-Con recently, and I had the privilege to go on a couple of panels, it was the first time I've ever been on a panel. That's amazing. Amazing. The first time I've ever been on a panel ever. I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at, you know, like 100, 150 people, 200 people who have come to this room, and I'm just like, what is going on with my life right now? And, and you yeah. know, all these people are coming up to you, and they're like, I love your videos. You inspired me. You know, you got me through my hospital stay, you got me through my parents' divorce, all this crazy stuff that I've never, ever thought I could ever have an impact on, and somehow I am. And it's very humbling to the point of uh, just me just almost wanting to cry. Like, I was standing there in front of these people, and I was like, oh, shit, like, don't cry. Um, 
and it was just a really a great moment. And I, I, I think I feel very similar to you actually, because I am just a regular guy. I'm a guy in Ohio who loves movies. I have a passion for film. I have a passion for mm. talking about movies. And my whole goal is always just to, to try to appear as if, you know, I'm just a, your, your buddy who, who wants to talk about movies with you. And that's how I feel. So it helps that I'm not being fake. I'm being real. I, I just, I, anyone who wants to talk to movies with me, uh, talk movies with me, like at a theater or anywhere, I'll just, there's a guy at a gas station near my house. Uh, I go to this gas station all the time. And every time I come in there, he, I don't know his name. He doesn't know my name. But every time I come in there, he's like, hey, you see Captain America? Hey, you see this? You see that? And I'm like, yeah. And then we talk about it. It's just, uh-huh. it's this infectious thing that can happen. And uh, I love it. That's awesome. I mean, I've gotten, I've gotten similar stories as well. Like, and, and again, you know, you're just thinking about how you are just reviewing movies, which, I mean, even as a fan in the greater scheme of things, you don't think it's a super big deal. But to other people, it's a super big deal. But I mean, you know, really, when you think about it at its inception, I, I, I think I think when you're a fan of something for so long, uh, not that you lose passion for it, but you sort of forget about how big of a deal it can be to you and to other people, yeah. too. Um, and, and it sort of pulls you out of that context of thinking it's a big deal when other people are like running up to you and being like, oh, man, I love your videos. It's so great that you review this and say that and uh, and, 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 and have all these criticisms and, and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, if, if you think back to sort of that point of inception where you really just like fell in love with the genre or the medium of, of film, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's easy to recollect just how big of a deal it was for you in your life at that point. I mean, I remember in high school just how huge of a deal music for, was for me. I mean, like everything in my life revolved around music. Like all I wanted to do was learn about music and just hear music and explore music and in, in just every facet that I could possibly. Yeah, no, I can vividly remember it. And uh, and I'm also a big music fan too. Nowhere near as as knowledgeable as you are people oh we're we're, we're gonna get into awesome. that we, i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you some of your favorite records awesome. and i have some of my, i have some of my favorite dvds over here okay very so. cool um i'm excited <laughs> for that because that's different usually it's always a movie podcast that wants to to have me on so it's cool i can actually do something different um yeah i i vividly remember everything really um and i've, I've told the story to my viewers but there's always new viewers so and I'll, I'll make it brief. I don't want to bore you. I don't want to do a Kevin Smith where I just like go off, go off on this huge tangent. I love, I love Kevin Smith. But anyway, um, I was always in love with movies as a child. My parents showed me movies like The Princess Bride and the original Star Wars films and Back to the Future and Hook and the Home Alone films. And I, you know, I always thought they were so cool. And I, I remember having the eyes of innocence and being so naive to think that I was peering into a, a, some sort of world in which this exists, whatever, whatever sure. I'm looking at that that's real, that exists, that happened. And someone somehow put it together and I'm experiencing it. And then when, when we were younger, that was a very vivid time for sure. Film. Yeah. You know, so, so it's, it's easy to sort of think of, of kids at, the, at that time seeing it and, you know, sort of, sort of, sort of mistaking it for reality in a Absolutely, sense. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, with, with older movies, I mean, which, which were great and might have been great. You know, there were all sorts of things that, uh, uh, like 
the fact that you were watching it in black and white and the quality of the picture that I'm sure it was easy for people to sort of separate it from reality, mm-hmm. but sort of, you know, the eighties, nineties, it was a very vivid time for film for its time. Definitely. Definitely. And, uh, uh, I remember my mom rented me the Sandlot from the library and I just, I watched that movie endlessly and I eventually sure. I bought my own, uh, well, my parents bought it for me, but yeah, it wasn't until I was about 13 or 14 that I really started to, become aware of the idea that movies could be made by a group of people and Mm -hmm. that there was somebody involved with the production and that there were all these various people who sat down and actually assembled this film and that I could do that too if I put my mind to it. So yeah, I saw this film called Signs directed by M. Night Shyamalan and I loved it and it inspired me to want to get my own camera and I begged my mom to get me a camera. We were, we weren't, dirt poor but we certainly didn't have much money and uh she she let me buy a reasonably priced camera and Hmm. it uh spent most of my teenage years being used with my friends tons of short films uh hundreds really i still have them all saved um they'll never see the light of day (laughs) um i i had them all on these i had like four or five vhs tapes of them which i've since transferred to dvd so that i could preserve them just mm. you know for my own sake and one day when i'm 55 or something and i'll be like here's one of them laugh at me um but and yeah i i spent my whole teenage years just obsessing over studying film and and not just uh you know watching a lot of movies i mean hardcore studying film and, and people my sister talks to me a lot she's like you sound like a freaking computer when you're talking about movies. I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, you're just spouting out all of this information. Where does this come from? And I'm like, it's just in my head, <laughs> years of studying. And so I, I was just out to dinner last night with one of my, with one of my good friends and my wife, and we were sitting down at the table. And I think at this point, we, uh, I can't remember how it came up, but I think at this point I've, I've reviewed upwards of like maybe a thousand records mm. And I said to them, <laughs> I said to them, here's my phone, go on my YouTube channel, find any review that I did, and I'll remember the score I gave it. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> and and, we, and they were just like asking me random, random records that I reviewed. I'm like, oh yeah, that was, that was pretty good. I gave that a seven, yeah. you know, or something. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's weird how when you're passionate about something, you don't even really need to think about remembering it. You just automatically You're so, you're so right. It. And you know, I can do the same thing as well. You name any movie, I can probably name the grade. Also, here's, this is the, the freaky one. Uh, I, and there's no way I can prove this. But it's true. Uh, if you tell me any film that I saw in theaters, uh, save for when I was, you know, like maybe, you know, less than 13 years old, I can remember where I was sitting. <laughs> like in what row? Yes. Not, not like, you know, row eight, not like row A, row eight, eight, you know, seat eight. I can remember like the position in the theater. Like, I, oh, I was back left that time or I was back right that time. And I apologize if you hear a lawnmower. Some guy outside just started mowing a lawn. Yeah, that's fine. But um, uh, well, what's interesting about that is that that's that's not to say that that's an easy thing to recollect, but sort of uh, uh, thinking of how much you obsess over this medium, mm-hmm. uh, sort of your first impact of seeing that movie in the theater. Uh, I'm sure a, a lot of your memory is guided by sort of the angle you were looking at the screen from. You're exactly right. You yeah. know, so 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 the fact of that, I'm sure, you know, exactly you're pulling right from your mind. Okay, so I mean, I remember seeing the film sort of in this way, so I must have been sitting yeah, here. Yeah, you got it. 
nuts. I can't even remember who I was with. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I have a vivid memory of seeing Bringing Down the House with Steve Martin and Queen Latifah with uh, mm -hmm. uh, an older lady who I my, was family friends, and uh, she took me to the movie theater, and I, I, her name was, uh, uh, oh, great. Oh, I forgot her name. See, I can't remember her name, but I, but I remember <laughs> like who she was. I remember she had, she had a problem looking at lights. She wore a lot of sunglasses. So, yeah, mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah, I mean, just just like you when I was a kid, I mean, I, I, I never obsessed over, I never had that point where I obsessed over film in the same way that you have, which which is exactly why when people say, hey, you know, Anthony, we really love your reviews. Are you ever going to do movie reviews? Like, that, that's the moment that I'm just in my head. I'm like, uh, no, you know, I've never had that point in my life where sure. I was so obsessed with movies in the way I was with music. I think the only way I'd be able to explain myself or sort of critique the movie is if I thought the storyline and the acting was mm -hmm. good. You know, when I watch your stuff, you're talking about like camera angles and all sorts of things that, uh, uh, and, and sort of the, some of the interesting ways that directors will sort of portray a whole scene without cutting anywhere, you know, just by moving the camera in a few ways, which is stuff that I don't necessarily notice on my, you know, really, really any view of a movie because that's not really my prime focus because that's not anything I've really sort of obsessed over. But still, like you as a kid, I remember seeing movies and, and thinking of them as being this really cool alternative world that I really wanted to be in or be involved in. Exactly. Um, you know, as a kid, I remember loving, loving the shit out of Ghostbusters. <laughs> loved Ghostbusters. Yeah. Loved Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Right, right. Thought Home Alone was the greatest thing. Uh, loved Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice was amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, just these movies that brought these really weird alternative worlds uh, to to the forefront. And, and even as a kid, I mean, the, I liked, I liked some weird horror movie stuff too. Uh, and, and in high school I did kind of get obsessed with, you know, just really bad horror movies because, uh, you know, that stuff that's just like so bad it's good. And, um, and, and oddly enough, sort of a weird drug themed movies as well. <laughs> uh, you know, though, 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 as a kid in high school, I wouldn't go anywhere near sure, drugs. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't, but I was completely infatuated with like fear and loathing in Las Vegas. I thought that was like the coolest thing. Yeah. My ex, my ex-girlfriend loved that movie so much. She would show it to me all the time. It was, it was interesting sort of listening to <laughs> the Hunter S Thompson commentary mm -hmm where he was talking about the scenes that Terry Gilliam was pulling together. And then in the midst of, of doing the scenes and sort of visualizing them, Terry had admitted to a hunter that he had never done like these drugs that he's talking about doing throughout the film. And uh, uh, so, so he was just like, you know, completely working from imagination as to what these trips and what these situations would, would look and be Interesting. like. But, um, but yeah, you know, just uh, uh, I, I, I had this point where I was just really obsessed with, uh, you know, these drug movies and sort of these bad horror movies like um, uh, Jack Frost, oh my God. that movie where the, no. the snowman comes alive and, and kills people. Now, which, like, which, those, those are amazing. Which Jack Frost horror movie, the actual horror movie or the Michael Keaton Jack Frost? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, which is also a horror exactly. movie in its, in its own right. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, well, well, speaking of Michael Keaton... Um, uh, one movie that you've seen recently that I know you enjoyed and I enjoyed it too was Birdman. Yeah, loved it. Uh, you you loved the hell out of that movie. I did. Um, but speaking about critics, like we were earlier, the one thing I didn't like about that movie was that whole critic character, sure. which I don't know, just kind of seemed like a straw man of sorts. Mm -hmm. Like let's not that not that critics. <clears throat> 
don't have their flaws or don't deserve their criticisms, mm -hmm. but it kind of seemed like they were criticizing an effigy of a critic right. in the movie. Like, like they, they put together the most dislikable critic to shit all over. And then it was like, well, of course, you know, it's, of course I have to agree with you yeah. when your portrayal of the critic is that, yeah, and, I mean, I don't even, I don't even like that person. No, of course. And, and they're, they're most critics that I've ever met are really just people who are really passionate about movies. But I, I can tell you, and of course, I will never uh, name names. I have met some film critics where I where I have left talking to them, and I've said to myself, "Why do they review movies? Like, what do do they actually enjoy this?" Because I went to this sure. screening one time, and it's it's no one that anyone on the internet would know. I'm saying it's not anyone that anyone on the internet would know. It's a, a small time critic here in Ohio, who. Um, mm. He's kind of like me. He's just, you know, he's just kind of a normal person. And I was talking to this this uh, this person, and and also, if any of my friends are watching this, it's I'm not friends with this person, so um, I'm just like covering <laughs> my tracks. But anyway, and they were just talking about how bored they were all the time, and oh, I go to these movies, and oh, I'm going to see Fast and the Furious, oh, I'm going to see Thor. I'm like, will you shut up? You get paid to watch movies, dude. Like, just relax. <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. Well, well, I, th I think the thing is, in, in, and this goes for all criticism, you know, across genres, I think a lot of people who end up in the business are there because they're good writers, not necessarily because they're fantastic fans of the media. True. You know, um, they're there because they can write very well. They can explain they can explain points very well. And they're they're probably they probably already have a track history of, of working in the journalism industry as a writer of some sort. And they just kind of end up here. And it seems kind of like a cozy spot that slowly over time, if you're not a fan, uh, sort of becomes your own little torture chamber. You're absolutely correct. Which, you know, which which is um, sort of the stereotype that I try to break as hard as possible because I've just always been a fan. I've always cared about music and. You know, uh, I don't consider myself the greatest writer in the world, uh, you know, though I've taken uh, plenty of journalism courses and that was sort of a focus for me in college. Uh, but um, I've, I've always considered myself a, a better talker, but first and foremost, a fan, which, you know, even, whether I could write or not, um, that's that's sort of where my passion to do what I do sort of comes from, the fact that I care about music so much. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and I can tell when I watch your videos too, and that's one of the things that um, I look for whenever I, you know, I'm curious to see any videos or articles about anything is I always want to find someone who feels like they actually enjoy what they're doing and have a passion for it, and that definitely comes through in your videos. I mean, you, you it's really obvious that you're infectiously, like I watch your videos and I'm like, you know, I actually might listen to that album that I have no interest in. Sure, and, and and I think at the end of the day, that's what makes a lot of your fans and my fans so passionate. I mean, in in one breath, while we do feel like, hey, you know, this this is crazy. You know, not not that we think our videos are bad, but uh, I'm sure Chris feels the same way that I do. That never in a million years did we think that we'd be doing what we're doing, Correct. and yeah. and it's it's crazy to yeah. us. You know, it's it's still kind of crazy to to be such a big fan of such a thing, and and essentially like. Uh, you know, be making a, 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 a name for yourself just by being such a huge fan. And 
the, and the reason people love the videos is because I think that connection that people make to other people when they discuss cultural items, pieces of art that they're really passionate about, that could be really emotionally vindicating and that could be really significant to other people, which again is part of the reason that um, I sort of got into music in the first place. It was through my friends, you know, uh, uh, I mean, I've always had some kind of passion for music, but when it really kind of lit up, it was when, you know, some really close friends of mine who I had met early on in life, uh, heard my music. They thought that was cool. I tried out their music. Then we were looking up music together and, you know, just kind of further diving down that rabbit hole. You know, I think the, the, the communication of fans together, uh, and sort of sharing in, the things that they're passionate about can be really, uh, really important. You know, it's funny. I just watched the perfect movie to then jump into a podcast with you uh, earlier today when I had a, I had a free, had some free moments. I had to take my dog to the vet and blah, blah, blah. Uh, have you ever seen High Fidelity? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's about these. That's that's like ultimate music nerd. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's John Cusack, Jack Black, and and they're they're just they work at a, a music store, and and the whole movie is just they're like these super high brow guys who like look down on people with poor music taste, and they you know they love to like people will come into the shop and ask for a record, and Jack Black's like you don't need that thing, and and he'll like convince them to buy something else, and so yeah, I mean it's a perfect segue into talking to uh, the music lover over here. It's awesome. Um, I remember Empire Records was a good 90s movie about a record store. Too. You are just pulling out and... the ex-girlfriend's favorites. Oh, man. <laughs> that was that was actually an ex-girlfriend's favorite of mine. So Yeah, it's true. No, she, that... she loved it. She forced me to watch it. I, I actually liked it, though. I, I had no interest in it, but I liked it. Yeah, Empire Records was fun. And another, another interesting sort of uh, acting moment for record stores was this great, great kids in the hall sketch where this guy comes in like looking for i don't know what some kind of freaking hall and oats record or something and um uh the dude behind the counter is scoffing at him and the the customer sort of looks him up and down and you know he's sort of profiling him like what's this guy's deal what's his taste you know what is he into and he says uh you know, could you could you recommend me uh, any Doors records? And the guy's like, "The Doors, you're not ready for the Doors, man." <laughs> and you know, he's he's like, well, "Well, how do I get into him? What do I do?" And he's like, "Do this: buy a car, get an eight track. It's got to have an eight track. You know, get L.A. Woman on there, or like Morrison Hotel, <laughs> and drive it all the way out to the desert." You know, and he's like going through this whole elaborate, you know, scheme, and he's like, "Quit your job and all this other stuff," and then. Then you'll be into the doors, man. That's, that's you know? funny. My, my dad used to play the doors all the time when I was a kid. Riders on the Storm over and over again. Good song, great song. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've always enjoyed their music. But yeah, uh, I grew up with, well, you're going to get into the music later. I'll get. I'll talk about it then. Sure. Oh, okay. Well, um, I, I think one more. <laughs> what, uh, here's, here's something that, that is, uh, was, was an interesting other little movie tidbit for me. Growing up, my my uh you know i i sort of had these kids movies or movies that sort of were a little more kid friendly that i thought were really great but i was exposed to a lot of adult movies too through my dad because he wasn't you know sort of one of these parents who was sort of overly protective mm-hmm. of what their kids saw and and these movies that were more adult in nature i mean i saw them again and again and again and again because he loved the hell out of these movies like my dad while he wasn't necessarily a movie expert or a movie buff the movies that he did love he watched them religiously to the point where he could quote every word from of course them. so i remember growing up 
I can't tell you how many times I watched the the movie Predator. Oh my god, I, I was so I thought many you were times. gonna say Predator. I I kid you not. I thought you were gonna say Predator. Dude, my dad was he's he's still a big man today. He was a power lifter, very much a, a, a loud mouthed, loud man's man, and like you know Arnold movies, but specifically Predator was like his shit. What is this fucking Thai business, huh? I know. <laughs> Pretty much every every line from that movie, he could just quote it verbatim. Yeah, yeah, you and, got you pushing and, too many pencils. Oh my Sorry. god! Yes, <laughs> yes. Get to the chopper! Get to the chopper! Um, that the the only time that Predator got kicked out of the main movie rotation is when Matrix came mm. out. Like it, it's like it's like you know a bomb dropped for him, you know, and then he just became obsessed with the Matrix trilogy. You know, and he has all these sorts of theories about how the matrix matrix works and all this other That's stuff. Awesome. And you know, by the time they came out with the third one, he had all these like you know, uh, uh, I theoretical ideas as to where it's going to go. And I'm like, I, I think the matrix is done. You know, it's. <laughs> but you know, he's he's still like holding out hope for uh, for some kind of advancement of the narrative into the future. Your dad sounds pretty awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a super super passionate guy as well. You know, just kind of has his own you know, his, his own, uh, focuses. But, um, I mean, as far as movies that I've kind of fallen in love with over the years, and this is just a couple DVDs. I mean, you know, I really love, uh, uh, the meaning of life favorite Monty Python movie, though. I've seen them all, um, train spotting, love train spotting that came from sort of my drug movie phase, obviously <laughs> Royal Tenenbaums, uh, definitely one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies, though. I haven't caught up on a lot of his recent, very stuff. hilarious film. Um, absolutely. Uh, no Country for Old oh, Men. Definitely, so definitely a newer movie that blew me so, away from the first moment so I saw good, it. So good. I mean, Javier Bardem's character is is definitely one of the most amazing characters ever beyond film. Um, Eraserhead is fantastic. Uh, Full Metal Jacket. That's really intense. I already said Fear and Loathing. Um, you know, I uh, 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 sort of like in the way that No Country for Old Men is, I just love a good character portrait of just like a, a real dark character or a real jerk or a real seedy guy. And I, that's why I love There Will Be Blood. Oh, um, such a great friggin' movie. I love uh, Magnolia. I love films like that. And I love films like The Royal Tenenbaums that can take a lot of characters and bring them together in a really creative way or just have so many characters, but have them be so well-developed and have them have so much life and, and so much uh, uh, rich backstory, but also just like keep things concentrated on the storyline and still have it be a very good, coherent film. Yeah, I have most of those um, on Blu-ray that you mentioned. Sure. Uh, Big Lebowski. Oh, course, my God. Big Lebowski might be my favorite comedy. I'm serious. It's a great oh, comedy. It's <laughs> so good. that That is the quotable movie for me. I mean, every – like – there, I don't know what it is, but there is a shot in that movie that I just die laughing. And it's not, I don't even know if it's meant to be funny, but I mm. die every time. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's in his car and freaking mm. CCR comes on. And he starts banging the roof, down, 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 looking out my back door. And he's just, it, I don't know why, it just, it kills me. It's so funny. It's like exactly what my dad did whenever CCR came on. It was just, it, it perfectly encapsulated <laughs> that. Why well, I think, I think it's, I think it's a really awesome introductory moment for the character you know it did tell like that that one moment for jeff bridges character tells you like everything you need to know about that guy. <laughs> i love that part like right there like what he's wearing the car he's driving in the fact that he's just banging on his yeah. 
a steering wheel like a total dork. If you go to like and... any YouTube video of looking out my back door from CCR, almost always mm -hmm. the top comment is like, I listened to this and I banged the roof of my car. <laughs> um, absolutely. Uh, uh, also, uh, just two more I have, uh, and, and then the, my last movie pick here, I have, a uh, uh, one more question to ask you about movie stuff and maybe then we can get into some music cool. stuff. Um, love Reservoir Dogs. Definitely. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, as far as like extravagance and just like grandiosity, I love Pulp Fiction and I love Kill Bill a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But the thing about Reservoir Dogs is I also love a film that can take characters in a very limited amount of scenes, not, not scenes, but I guess settings, you know, sort of like a 12 angry men yeah. or something gotcha. like that. You know, I mean, a, a bulk of that film and a bulk of reservoir dogs happens in the same spot, yep, definitely. you know, but yet the film is so action packed and it's so, uh, uh, it's just so engaging and it's just so just nail biting and just so on the edge of your seat. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really all because of the quality of, uh, the acting, you know, I mean, that, that movie could be transcribed to, uh, uh, the stage. And if you've got some great actors, it would still be just as entertaining. Yeah. And Tarantino infused um, so much energy into that movie to the point where, uh, he did something different with almost every shot in that movie made something pop, something unique about every shot. Just the one scene where, um, Tim Roth is describing that I haven't seen it in a while, but Tim Roth is describing that experience and the cameras rotating around him 360. Um, just the stuff like that is, is the kind of thing that, mm. that most directors, they, they, just, they don't think of. They're just like, oh, well, we'll just cut to a close-up and then we'll, we'll mm -hmm. cut to a close-up as they talk. We'll cut back and forth. No, Tarantino was doing so many innovative things with the camera. and he, I mean, that movie, I, obviously I was young when it came out, but I've, I've since done a lot of research about it's explosion and, and how it affected people. And it was huge for him. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was his breakout yeah. film. I mean, it really, it really gave him a name. And, uh, I think, I think the, the, the last film I have over here is, uh, Jim Jarmusch's, uh, night on earth. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen no. it. Um, well, uh, uh, sort of going into that uh, generally, and, and I, and I know you sort of, uh, uh, review some films of this style, but mostly, you know, sort of, uh, larger films that, you know, your average Joe could, could catch in the yeah. theater if they, if they, if they make the, uh, the point to, um, sort of where's your focus or where's your priority or just your general opinion when it comes to just independent movies, independent films, and, uh, you know, just sort of the more off the beaten path sort of stuff it's a great question it gives me a chance to to answer that because i get i get that a lot um not living in first off not living in la or new york uh it's automatically more difficult for me to yeah that stuff's not sitting outside your front yeah, door it, it's it's automatically more difficult for me to locate these films gratefully in the past year a really awesome theater has opened uh, nearby my place called the nightlight and it's mm. dedicated to bringing independent films to my area so normally I have to drive to Cleveland, which is about a 40-minute drive for me, uh, mm -hmm. to see some of these smaller films. Now, the other issue is that a lot of these smaller films, uh, no one wants to, to watch these videos. And it's the honest truth. Um, I'll, I'll, I might review, I'm, I might drive an hour to see a film that I might not have much interest in, and maybe I think the film is okay, and I review it, and it's a small film, and it gets a certain amount of views, and then 
let's say a Batman v Superman trailer drops and people are begging me to talk about it. So I do. And it gets yeah. quadrupled five, six, seven times the views that the indie film that I, I drove an hour to see and sat in a theater for two, three hours even. Um, and so it's sort of like a priority time thing, but to be the, the real answer is that I have a passion for movies. doesn't matter if it's big or not. Um, I, I do actually review a lot of indie films. It's just nowhere near as many as I can. Uh, and a lot of that, like I said, is due to the area, but yeah, I, I try to cover anime, which no one else on YouTube, uh, well, I'm sorry, that's, that's absolutely incorrect. There are plenty of anime reviewers, but I'm saying the majority of, of, of YouTube film reviewers don't really give a crap about anime. So that I try to focus on that because it's such a small thing, but I also do. That's a, that's actually something on your YouTube channel that you've been a pretty big advocate of. Yeah. I mean, I don't actually think I said I have the, the, the Akira DVD oh, cool. over here in Very front of cool. me. Um, but, but yeah, you've been pretty defensive of, uh, of anime on your YouTube channel and, uh, you know, sort of talking about its significance in film history, just in general. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that I've tried to, to make people become aware of because so often anime is viewed as the, the thing where the girls, I have the big boobs or whatever, or it's, you know, the childlike thing, Pokemon, but there's, there's so much mature anime filmmaking out there. And so many American films have been inspired by it. I mean, it's, it's crazy how many times I've been watching a movie and been like, I've seen that in an anime. And then I go back and I'm like, yep, it was in an anime and they tributed it in some way. And mm -hmm. no one really picks up on these things. Even in the uh, internet age where people have so much access to this stuff, I mean, those uh, those stereotypes still persist. The yeah, I mean, in some in some places, it, it's not like uh, it's not as bad as it was. I mean, you know, where people yeah. when I grew up, uh, if you liked anime, it was kind of weird, you know, like hey, what are you watching? Uh, uh, nothing. Yeah, it was it was automatically a dorky. Yeah, thing. exactly. No, there's definitely it's definitely considerably easier now to be like anime is awesome but i can tell you from personal experience since i have been trying to advocate it and i've gotten quite a bit of comments from people who are like i really don't have any interest in anime i i just i don't like the animation style i don't like the art style and so it's sort of become not like a, i'm afraid to like it because of of, of a reputation it's become like i just mm -hmm. don't like the animation style i don't know how yeah. though because like to me like i have a friend one of my best friends who will watch every single American animated film released in theaters, no matter what, because he has kids, but he also enjoys mm -hmm. them. But he will not even look at an anime. And I'm like, so why is it okay if you watch the American animation, but you don't watch Japanese? He's like, I don't like reading subtitles. I'm like, we'll turn on the dub. I'm fine with it. We'll turn on the dub and you can watch this movie with me. He's like, eh, I just don't want to. I'm like, Why? <laughs> you know, I, I think I think it's just a subliminal reaction to people just not being used to not only the visual style of anime, but I think subconsciously a lot of American viewers react to the average of about 10 frames per second mm. in a lot of the anime films w without even really thinking about it. I think that they're just not I, I think that even though the visual quality in terms of like the detail and just, uh, I mean, just like the intense detail of a lot of these drawings is there. I mean, kind of where you end up losing is sort of in the amount of frames that you get. And I, I think some American viewers sort of see that and automatically react to it, assuming it's some kind of loss in quality or that it's cheap in some kind of way when that's not necessarily the case. I mean, you could draw 30 fucking frames of the Simpsons because if you're a good artist, you could draw 
30 Homer Simpsons in, you know, a pretty quick span of time. But I mean, when you're talking about like some of those battle scenes that occur in Akira, I mean, you know, those are some really intense drawings. That's a really fascinating viewpoint. I've never looked at it that way. That, that could very well be for some people. Um, the one I've always said, like when people are like, what's, what's the <clears throat> gateway anime? I'm like, watch Cowboy Bebop, just do it. And give yeah. it the first five episodes. And if you're not hooked, okay. But I hope you are. That's all I say. You know, thanks to, to I, I think because of the internet, Adult Swim, Toonami, you know, they, they, they've really heightened the reputation of anime from where it used yeah. to be years ago. You know, thanks to bringing stuff like Cowboy Bebop and Trigun and, uh, you know, stuff like Death Note and Dragon Ball Z, too, to the yeah, West. definitely. That's how I feel, um, too. I mean, and I made that whole video uh, about Toonami and how it inspired me and, uh, uh, to not to tsunami rewind the retro rewind video i did i to, to uh, excuse me sorry i'm getting emotional <laughs> to this day uh that's my favorite video i've had the privilege to be involved in because i can actually watch that video and it's the only video that i can watch and not think of all the things i wish i had said differently yeah absolutely i just i'm very proud so, of that video mm-hmm no, I mean, I, th I think it came together really well, and I think it, you know, sort of defended the the genre in the way that it sort of needed to 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 be defended. Um, you know, and 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 not that you know it's sort of under severe attack nowadays, but I think you know anime, like a lot of different musical genres, you know, people just don't uh, give it the chance it it deserves necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but but uh, I guess I guess one more question about independent films, but not you know asking about any independent film specifically, just kind of from a uh, a critical standpoint, you know, obviously, and, and for me myself, you know, I kind of feel this pressure to review sort of the most popular of the popular stuff that comes out, because that's often what people are asking the most for. And that's often what ends up uh, getting the most views, um, you know, but, uh, but still, at the end of the day, I kind of feel like if I just relegated myself to that, I would uh, start over time to feel kind of uninspired because I kind of feel like as a critic, it's sort of my job to curate as well mm -hmm. and kind of introduce people to things. And I kind of feel like independent music underground stuff is one of the most important ways to do that, to sort of shine a light onto things that people aren't necessarily focusing on. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually t uh, generally tend to prefer uh, independent film, uh, music over the more popular stuff, but I do, I do try to cover uh, indie films. I mean, I don't, I'm obviously not doing as much as as some, but like recently, I did the Death of Superman Lives documentary. I wasn't even mm -hmm. really released in a, a a wide release at all. I picked up the Blu-ray at Comic Con. I did Dope um, yeah. when Marnie was there. Uh, I, one of the things I'm doing right now is, and I'm really loving it, and I'm really surprised that people are actually enjoying it as much as I was hoping they would. Is uh, I'm reviewing films that are leading up to like a release that's coming out, like a film series, or maybe I'll pick a director and review his films. And it's giving me a chance to actually kind of build my my catalog of reviews. Because if you go to RogerEbert.com and search a, a movie, odds are he reviewed it. If you go to my YouTube channel and search a movie, maybe I reviewed it. And I don't want it to be like that. I want to have like a gigantic catalog of movie reviews. And so I'm really enjoying doing that. Yo, me too, dude. Me too, dude. But just like album reviews, obviously. Right. Um, it's, uh, do, do you feel like sort of the movie mainstream right now 
is a little more or less creative than it used to be, or maybe more or less open to alternative ideas than it used to be. Because I feel like with the rise of Netflix and with the rise of the internet and just how it's kind of brought the underground to our front doors via a search engine, if we want to find it, uh, it, it kind of has created a, a platform for films like Juno, like Garden State, like Little Miss Sunshine that aren't necessarily true blue indie films, but they have more of an indie alternative aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And while maybe it might not be as gritty as some of those hardcore indie films, like a movie like Antichrist or something like that, uh, it definitely puts the idea out there or at least makes things in the mainstream feel a little more balanced. Like we don't necessarily need to appeal to the lowest common denominator all the time. We can actually put out a film like Juno and little miss sunshine and it can be successful sort of in its own right. Absolutely. And like you said, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we now have so many options with how we view films. And for instance, in August, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2 is going to be the first, as far as I know, the first film released in theaters and same day on Netflix. Um, mm. And so we're entering this new world of possibilities. Uh, and, and this is one of the things I've actually has, has drawn me more to, to TV shows is the fact that I can binge watch on Netflix or whatever. Like I, I, I watched Daredevil and I loved it. I have no interest in watching Arrow or The Flash, despite the fact that people tell me they're good. And the reason is I simply can't dedicate, you know, the time to all these cliffhanger possibilities. And so getting back to what you were talking about, the fact that Netflix offers the uh, filmmakers and people involved with creating television shows more leeway and more freedom to explore their ideas, at least from what I've heard from reports, that's something that I think filmmakers are really flocking to. Like, for instance, take House of Cards, which I haven't watched yet, but the fact that David Fincher wanted to do it, I mean, that's crazy. That That is one of the most meticulous directors on Earth. Uh, the mm-hmm. fact that he he made a Netflix show, you know, and directed the pilot in, I think, a couple episodes is great. I mean, that speaks worlds about the freedom they're giving artists. So I think that, yeah... To answer your question, um, Hollywood is very bogged down in what works and what gives them returns on their investments, and they know the little boxes they have to check most of the time to make sure they at least break even and hopefully make a little more. But there are so many other options now of how we can get our entertainment that it is giving artists, especially people who aren't even in the Hollywood system like me. It's giving people like you and me the freedom to express ourselves uh, creatively through things like YouTube. I mean, if I really wanted to, I could make a short film and start a Kickstarter campaign or a GoFundMe campaign or something and try really hard, and I could do it. It's just there's so many options now that allow us uh, more creative freedom than we ever had before. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the internet has kind of given us a little bit of accountability uh, in in the fact that, I mean, stuff has to actually kind of be sort of good now uh, because you can't just go from the fact that 
you promoted the movie really well or you promoted the album really well and people went out and bought it and these are the sales and it's over. You know, I mean, people are going to hear the record and see the movie and they're going to take to online immediately and be like, this is great. This sucks. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's because of that actual passion that people have for projects. I mean, you know, once, once the, once the internet allowed people to pirate music, allowed people to, uh, buy single songs on iTunes, allowed people to vent their, uh, expressions and their negative opinions about whatever records online. I mean, the music industry was in alarm mode and was talking about, Oh, the album's dead. Artists aren't going to be making records anymore. And people don't care about albums anymore. Albums are dead. Just stop making albums. Albums are garbage. And then meanwhile, you have something like this, uh, Kendrick Lamar record that just dropped earlier this year, uh, to pimp a butterfly, which has been like across, despite the fact that it's a hip hop record, it's been, you know, a crossover hit uh, across young people of, of numerous musical tastes because of its story, because of its musical palette, because of just how in-depth the record is. And in the midst of this culture that critics and people who are just like uh, uh, culture writers w w are, are constantly saying that, oh, people don't have an attention span anymore, you know, and then you're handing them this, this almost hour long album and, most people coming across it are celebrating and saying it's one of the greatest hip hop records of all time, if not one of the greatest modern records of our era, I think says something, you know, I think people have the attention span if you hand them something worth paying attention to. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. And I think that's a humongous misconception in regards to the way, whether it's a studio exec or a record company is looking at something. Uh, it's they, they, people tend to be cynical about how someone is going to perceive something they've created. And it's just a natural human inclination. You know, people won't like this. Why? I, I just don't, I don't know. People won't like it because I, because of this and because of that. And like you said, if, if an artist really puts his or her mind to it, they can create something that's captivating. If you have talent and if you're actually good at what you do, you can create something, whether it's long or short, and it can be captivating. I mean, uh, you know, say what you will about Interstellar. The movie's almost three hours long, but I was captivated from opening to ending. And it's that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that Hollywood or who you know record companies need. They need people who can tell interesting stories through song or movie, and. and actually captivate their audience because there's this huge demand for having to make back a certain amount of money and all these worries and like I said all these little boxes that have to be checked to make sure it fits into this thing or fits into that thing and I think that's really the, the death of creativity. I think uh, I, I think the industry, whether it be movie or whether it be music, is going to continue to subsist on these kind of quick hits where they can just, you know, make a movie for relatively cheap off of a basic idea that they could just make a bit of a profit off of. But I mean, the studios have to be more open to the bigger ideas that they might be taking a bit of a risk on because the thing is, it's movies like that that end up sort of being those big cultural historical markers. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like like uh, Kendrick's new record, like Interstellar 2, which uh, my wife is a huge movie buff, and especially when it comes to sci-fi stuff. So she was head over heels for the idea of that film before we even got to the theater. 
And, um, and she loved it from beginning to end. She thought it was amazing. And, um, you know, I thought some of the acting was just okay, Mm -hmm. but I mean, just the whole concept of the movie and the way they played out sort of the idea of Matthew McConaughey, just like getting caught in this alternate dimension and trying to sort of, uh, guide, events uh from behind the scenes in a way in this other dimension uh, was really great it was really mm-hmm. cool and i think that that i i think that really even if the movie in your opinion is it good or is it bad i i think it's grand ideas like that that are going to inspire directors in the future you got it um i uh uh though you know i i i did see a not too not too much recently um uh, this uh, this short little uh, college film project festival thing at a local theater, and um, uh, the, the, there was a complete lack of buddy comedies there, which I thought was really uh, really disappointing. Um, so you know, I think uh, I I, th- I think you know while while independent and grand ideas are good, uh, we we still need to be open to the buddy. Comedy of course, of course. Well. I mean, got to have a lethal weapon every here and there. Absolutely. So going uh Going into some music stuff, I mean, with how with how movie and film obsessed you are, sort of what kind of role in your life does music play, and kind of what records have have stuck with you over the years? So I am not a person a person who who says this is my favorite genre of music, similar to movies. Um, sure, I like all different types. There's really only a couple genres I can't stand. That would be country music and like hardcore rap like hardcore you know rap. what i mean like you know how how hardcore are we like going? when every other is word like... is a cuss word okay so like you know super super foul mouth yeah stuff. it's like i i lose the the artistry you know mm-hmm. i i the artistry fades and all i hear is the the overuse of language um not a big heavy metal guy but mm-hmm. i do love rock i like many different types of pop music I like classical music. I listen to classical uh, in the car quite often. Um, I love, surprise, surprise, movie scores. I will listen to plenty of those. uh, For (laughs) many years, I have. Um, Yeah, I mean, my favorite album of all time is uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller. It's a great record. It's a common choice. I know it's nothing crazy or different it's like my favorite movie is transformers um yeah. no. no i i you know i i would say saying michael jackson's thriller is your favorite movie is kind of like saying it's more like saying terminator 2 is your favorite okay movie. okay well yeah like okay it's a common film but it's an amazing fucking yeah, film it's my favorite you album know? billy jean is my favorite song of all time it's an amazing song. i've um, listened to it you know so, some of my some of my favorite songs rip off that song in some kind of way yeah I mean, tons of songs have uh, have taken the you know beats from it and sampled it in various ways. But no, I, I absolutely I love that song. And and a uh, little secret for you: uh, <laughs> when I was a teenager, I became very obsessed with the Billie Jean routine, the live dance routine. Mm-hmm. And dude, when 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 my when when my wife was a kid, she was Michael Jackson obsessed as okay. well, and knew all the moves okay. and and all that. Well, stuff. I spent about three or four years teaching myself how to do it, and I've performed it at a few talent shows and stuff. And that's I, I know the whole thing. Like I'm getting, I'm not I, not just a cursory like glance of it. Like I, and this is the one thing I can actually speak prideful about. I fucking can do the Billie Jean routine perfectly, and and I'm not 
I'm, I'm, I'm being completely serious. Like I can dude video or it didn't happen. <laughs> just video YouTube video. Uh, dude, come on. We, we, you're on YouTube. I'm on YouTube. We know how we make money. Yeah. If, if you did that, you'd probably get a million views. I probably would. But the issue is Billie Jean's a copyrighted song. So and that, that... <laughs> dude, just, just do it. Totally silent. Yeah. <laughs> just totally silent to like a click, to like a click track. Yeah, I'll be like, Hey guys, you, know? uh, you provide the Billie Jean track and, uh, you know, put it over the video. If you want, here's me dancing. <laughs> Absolutely. Just like give them a, give them a signal as to when to start the yeah, track. Exactly. And then just totally. Yeah. Uh, uh, my goal is to one day ha actually do it in front of like a huge live audience. I have no idea how I could ever actually do that because you uh -huh. know, Hey, I want to do this thing. Someone put on a show for me, you know? Uh -huh. So, but no, it's, it's a thing. That's for sure. Um, you make sure to practice it every once in a while, just to make sure you can still do just it. Just right? the other day. Um, Mm -hmm. my wife my wife and I, I swear to god this is true my wife is sitting down and she's like uh can you still do that billy jean stuff and i'm like do you mm -hmm. doubt me ma'am and she's like yes i do and so she found the song on her iphone and started playing it and i was in my living room and she was like you can still do it and i was like yeah i can <laughs> yeah i mean uh thriller a lot of that Jackson 5 stuff, Michael Jackson's uh, more disco days with uh, Off the Wall. I mean, that, that was just uh, and bad as well. I mean, that was that was a good run. Yeah, no, I love it. And and to be honest, I, I like uh, a very underrated song of his, I feel, is Blood on the Dance Floor that no one ever talks about. Um, hmm. I find that song just incredibly infectiously toe-tapping. And I've, I've listened to it hundreds of times. And, and no one ever talks about it ever because it was on a kind of shitty remix album that was just like an excuse to be a remix album. And But that one single I love. And uh, I even like a lot of his Invincible album. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan, basically. But um, no, Billie Jean was huge for me. It was the first time in my life that I heard a song that I was like passionate about. You know, like I was like, I don't know. It was just like, I'm passionate about this song. I want to learn this routine. Like I, I would film, here's how I did it. I would film myself trying to dance like him. And then mm -hmm. I would put it in my editor. Cause I've always been editing, you know, video. I'd put it in my editor and then I'd line up uh, MJ himself next to me. And I would look to see if I was doing it correctly. And if I wasn't, I would refilm myself and see if I had gotten it right that time. And I would actually overlap them and, and see, am I doing it like he's doing it? And I, w I did that for about three years, honestly, like in my spare time. I mean, that's why they all learn those choreography routines in those mirrored rooms yeah. when they're getting ready for a show because, you know, they're watching themselves, they're watching everybody and just kind of making sure that the whole routine is, is going down well. You're just doing it with a camera. Exactly. And you know what? I've examined this to the point where I will sometimes look up other people who are impersonators or who are doing mm -hmm. like a talent show and I can't, I can't watch it because it's so bad. And it's because I yeah. see every flaw. And one of the biggest things I've seen uh, impersonators do, and they're not realizing it, is they're doing it backwards because mm. they're looking at MJ and then they're trying to do it from that angle. It's yeah. not realizing that they're doing it backwards. Like instead of yeah. like MJ will kick to the left 
because it's kind of mirrored through the yeah. television. And so they kick yeah. to what they think is the left, but it's their right. And I'm looking, I'm like, you're yeah. doing it backwards, dude. And this kind of stuff is what goes through my head. So, <laughs> yeah, that's my secret uh, uh, music side. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a pretty, I mean, have you analyzed any of his other routines? Yeah. Because, I mean, that's a pretty significant Michael Jackson routine. Yeah. And I imagine that he, he recycles a lot of those same moves or similar yeah. moves pop up in his other routines. Oh, of course, with Criminal, Thriller. Um, yeah. What else? Uh, uh, you rock my world. Yeah, I've, I've definitely uh, the dangerous routine. I can do about half of that, but not very well. Well, I, I think it was on. Uh, it might have been in the smooth criminal music video. I don't think it was. No, it was. It was definitely in the smooth criminal music video. That's when Michael was dressed kind of in that white yep. sort of gangster yep. suit. Correctly, right. correct. Yeah, I mean, when he just sort of tips forward yep. and everybody just sort of tips back. One of my favorite moves of his. Yeah, and you want to know how he did it? Oh, tell me. Tell me. It's humanly us. impossible, first of all. Uh, and and he's oh. he's you know been he's not like he's hid this. He he mm. actually patented uh, a pair of shoes that. Mm. Uh, had these these holes in the heel and he hooks into the ground literally he, the heels of his shoe hook into the ground and all the dancers and they're able to tip forward like that and then you know tip back and then unhook from it really quickly and he does it in the live performances too um, and there's only been a couple times where he's where the shoe has broken or the, the hook broke and he fell and it's the, mm -hmm. the only video I could ever find was somebody's like shaky 1995 camcorder thing of him falling sure. and, and that was it but um yeah he actually patented that type of shoe and, and anyone who's ever had to uh, do the smooth criminal routine for real as an impersonator they have to they have to have that type of shoe to do it oh <laughs> okay man yeah. Um, dude, I, I, I told you I analyzed this shit. <laughs> that's, that's true, man. Well, I mean, that's, that's sort of where, well, I mean, you, given that you're into films, you're a very visual yeah. guy. And as far as, you know, people from his era, I mean, Michael Jackson was one of the most visual artists out there in terms of his dancing style and sort of the ambitious approach he would take with his music videos. Um, you know, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, I mean, his music videos still have millions and millions and millions of views today right. on YouTube. Uh, so, I mean, uh, sort of jumping off from that, uh, you know, are there other sort of uh, uh, music videos that are sort of really significant to you from 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 uh, your 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 childhood or just kind of you know throughout your uh, uh, life of loving music, loving movies? Well, by far, the ones I've already mentioned are are definitely the most significant. Um, I don't know about music videos. And the reason is because so often, I think this is why I liked MJ so much is because so often mm. music videos are so standard, uh, just mm. very similar, you know, a, slow mo shots of a pretty girl walking around and a guy is singing about her and maybe she's picking a flower it just it they're all the same so many of them yeah and and i'm sure you can look at me and go oh you're so wrong and then give me a list 
of like incredible. I mean, you know, okay, I could give you a list, but I'm already imagining the music videos that you're describing, which which also to me run in tandem with the really awful music videos of the 80s and 90s, which were essentially just movie commercials, (laughs) where it would just be like cuts of the band, like, you know, kind of uh, just lip syncing their songs spliced together with clips from the movie that they ended up on the soundtrack of some crappy romantic comedy or something. Yeah. Um, as, okay, well, here's, here's, a, here's an embarrassing one. You want an embarrassing one? Sure. So I grew up loving Britney Spears. Uh, sure. <laughs> I had a picture of her in my locker in sixth grade uh, because, you know, sixth grade, she's the hottest girl on earth and everyone wanted to, to be with Britney Spears. So, uh, yeah. Lo- lover, lovers and haters alike who were heterosexual yeah. males and, and even homosexual yeah. males loved that hit me baby yeah routine. that that was like a significant that's video. a good one uh but the one that for some reason did it for me was the oops i did it again in that red uh leather skin tight suit i for whatever reason when i was a kid i was like that's the greatest thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> sure but no it's horrible i mean it's it's pretty stupid it's it's not really very good at all it's a, ba- a very basic you know especially that scene where she's like Ah, uh, I thought the the whole thing fell into the ocean at the end. Well, baby, I went down and got it for you. Ah, uh, you shouldn't have. <laughs> it's like the dumbest tangent ever in a song. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember that whole era for music videos because I, and, and maybe you did this as well. I mean, I would come home from school, I'd freaking watch TRL. Oh my god, Total Recall Live. Come, yeah, c- come home from school, watch that Offspring video for Pretty Fly for a White Guy. <laughs> watch. Uh, uh, the Christina Aguilera video. Absolutely. Watch. Um, <clears throat> who else had some big videos around then? Uh, I remember, like, there were tons of Limp Biscuit videos. Limp Biscuit was huge. Some forty one. Yeah, people loved that video. Cause I'm into yep. deep and I'm trying yep. to into yeah. deep and, and fat just, lip. Yeah, and and just before that, I mean, that was a time when they kind of relegated the music videos to this one time in the day. I mean, even before that, when they were just playing music videos all day, uh, you know, Nine Inch Nails, the videos for, for their stuff. I remember when I was a kid, like, and I liked horror movies at the time, but the closer video gave me nightmares. Like, the closer video would freak me out. Like, there was something super dark about that closer video. Absolutely. And just to clarify, I totally messed up. I, I called TRL Total Recall Live. It was Total Request Live. My bad. My, yes, yes. Total, total Request Live. I, but hey, man, Total Recall, you're a movie. Yeah, guy. it was an easy mistake. My apologies. I'll see you at the party, Richter. <laughs> it's a lot of Arnold movies, yep. man. A lot of Arnold Definitely. movies. No, I, I grew up in uh, the time period that I'm most well versed in in regards to music is obviously when I was a teen. So, because that's when, you know, everyone was doing, you know, everyone in my school would, I, I vividly remember, uh, I was a huge, unpopular nerd in school. Like, you mm. know, I had like a couple friends. And, most of, and all of my actual friends that were like my best friends were from like people my family knew and I had just grown up with them and they didn't go to my school. So anyway, at school, I vividly remember the day in which I was most popular was when mm-hmm. we had home ec class and it was like a party day or something like we were going to have food and candy. It was just like the greatest day ever. Uh, and I brought in my black boom box, this little uh, boom box that I had. Cause you know, back then people carried around boom boxes. Um, dude, I could not, I could not wait to get a boom box. Of course. 
when when I was a kid, and I had just a little Sony stereo that played tapes. Yep. And uh, and yeah, man, I couldn't I couldn't wait to get my hands on so one I, when I was I a kid. I brought in a cassette tape, uh, and it wasn't an official cassette tape. It was like a blank cassette tape that I had listened to the radio and recorded my favorite songs onto. I would wait mm. for the ra- by the radio, wait for the like I could hear. Oh, they're about to play record, and then I would you know. And so I actually have in my head like memorized sort of like the audio transitions between songs of like a guy going, and that was Smash Mouth All Star, okay, and then like going into the next song. So yeah, I brought in my cassette tape and I played Smash Mouth All Star, and the entire class started dancing, and it was like I think it was '99 maybe when that came out. And, uh, yeah, that's exactly okay. when it came out. So yeah, I sound like an old fucker right now, but um, <laughs> and everyone was dancing. I was like, I'm the most popular kid in school. I brought All Star. I'm the best. And yeah, I mean, that like <laughs> that was like the best day of my life uh, when I was a kid. And uh, so yeah, I've, I've and and you want to know like the greatest arc to this is my first date with my wife. Uh, we went to a screening of hotel Transylvania. And I remember I was like, I'm going to impress this girl. I get into these movies for free. It's going to be awesome. She's going to think I'm the greatest. And we saw hotel Transylvania and we had a good time. Uh, And on the way home, we were playing uh, music and all-star came on and I, she just kind of started mumbling the lines and I was like, I'm going to follow along. And I started kind of singing. And then I swear, this is, like the most cliched thing that could have possibly happened in the, in the universe. But we both started seeing all-star at the top of our lungs. Uh, sure. And it was great. I was like, this girl's pretty awesome. And now we're married. So, and of course we had it at our wedding and it, not, it wasn't our dance song, but it was in our wedding uh, playlist. So, so yeah, it was like a strange arc uh, brought to you by smash mouth. All-star is a, all-star is a pretty significant song to me for a few different reasons. Um, well, for one, there are two records, and this is a guy I've interviewed on the show as well. So this was a previous interviewee. There are two records that I reviewed either last year or the year before. I think it was last year. And they're remix albums. They're not remix albums. They're mashup albums. Mm-hmm. And they mash up different songs together. And the, he came out with two of them, and they're kind of sister albums. And the first one is called Mouth Sounds. And there's maybe like 17 or 20 tracks on it. And while not every track features a Smash Mouth mashup, most of the tracks do. Mm -hmm. And most of the songs that he mashes up with Smash Mouth, he mashes up with the song All Star. So you're hearing All Star's vocals thrown on top of John Lennon's Imagine, (laughs) on top of like, you know, uh, he throws the lyrics to Walking on the Sun on top of uh, uh, Daft Punk's Better, Harder, Faster, Stronger. That's interesting. Uh, and have you, you know, the band Modest Mouse, yeah. correct? You've heard the song float on, uh, maybe if you were to play it, I'd probably recognize it. Um, uh, sort of, you know, completely unbeknownst to me, but he figured it out and he found out the lyrics to all star with absolutely almost no alteration to the words and the instrumental to float on from Modest Mouse fit together and sync together perfectly. Wow. Like it's, it's almost as if they were meant to be together. And what's pretty funny is I've, I've DJed a couple times and I often will play this track to, uh, to, to a crowd of maybe sort of snooty indie mm-hmm. types who at first will hear the Modest Mouse song, which is easily one of the most, you know, recognizable and hit indie pop songs of all time. 
uh, was a really significant record for its time because, you know, up until that point, it was, it was kind of weird for a band that kind of had this long running indie status to break out onto the charts and like, you know, really crack into mainstream culture in some kind of significant way. And so they hear the instrumental and they hear the iconic guitar riff going. And then all of a sudden the fucking smash mouth dude pops in (laughs) and he starts singing the all-star lyrics and it's just so (laughs) confusing. It makes no sense. And, and I remember the, uh, one time I, I did a, I did a bunch of, uh, uh, speaking engagements in Australia and, when when I when I did uh, play some music down there to a bar, uh, the people got kind of caught off guard once the Smash Mouth lyrics started playing, but everybody started screaming them at the top of their lungs. That's hilarious. And uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. And also when I do these speaking engagements, I'll do a bit of a comedy routine where I will do a deep lyrical analysis of that song, <laughs> talking about how motivational it is and uh you know and a bunch of other things just really diving into the philosophy of all so you got a bit of a social experiment going on there yeah and it's it and it's pretty interesting to sort of see people's reactions and uh you know sort and 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 it's funny because that song not that everybody likes it but everybody knows Mm -hmm. it you know it's just so ubiquitous yeah definitely and 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 as a result i can just sort of you know, say, okay, I'm going to do a deep lyrical analysis of All-Star, and immediately the whole room just starts laughing. <laughs> because, you know, not only is that a song everybody knows, for whatever reason, you know, despite what kind of musical background you come from, but it's not a song anybody ever thinks deeply about. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it, the, I don't think anybody who, even people who enjoy that song, I don't think they've really given that much thought to what the lyrics mean or what he's trying to say. And not that the song is saying anything ultra deep, but, you know, sometimes it's funny to just sort of treat something, you know, with, with like this really high level of uh, importance. Like it's saying something super highfalutin when it's really right, not. Right, right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, those those are some pretty significant moments in pop culture yeah. uh, in 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 music history i mean is there anything uh, uh today sort of more modern stuff that that uh, you know sort of you're fascinated by or catches your well attention? i do have a favorite band uh now mm. sort of people ask me all the time what's your favorite movie don't have one mm. can't pick one it's impossible i can't pick a favorite album I've heard so many right. albums can't exactly. do exactly and and the thing is you might pick one and then two months from now you're like that's not my favorite album anymore It'll be totally yeah. different. I mean, the the only time I could do something like that is if somebody's like, okay, like, what's your favorite punk record from whatever year? Yeah, exactly. You know, and then then like there, I could be like, okay, right. You know, I could I could tell you then. Sort That's of. why I can do best and worst movies of the year because then I can shrink it down to a restriction of some kind. So sure, but I do have a favorite band, and as of right now, and as of pretty much the past few years, it's Daft Punk. I. Okay, love yeah. Daft Punk. I've I've liked everything that they've put out. They, they got me through my recent uh, trip to L.A. Again, I, I uh, I've been to L.A. three times this year, and then and so it was back and forth a lot. And I was like, I don't want to go. I had to get on the plane. Blah blah blah. And I had all I have their whole discography, and I was mm. just like, they, they. I mean, Discovery and Homework, two of the most important dance music records yeah. ever. And I remember when, when I was in high school and I was really super into punk music with this buddy of mine who was just as into punk music as me. 
um, you know, we started, a, and this was like during the days of Napster. Oh uh, my God. We, we, we started downloading songs from homework and we thought it was like the coolest Napster thing. Napster and LimeWire. Um, let's see. Yeah. I'm not. A- and, and I don't know if you know, but they actually started off as kind of like this punk twee band. Really? Yeah. Named Darlin. Interesting. Um, and they pulled the term Daft Punk from a yeah, negative yeah. review somebody I, gave of their song. I knew song. that. Someone, the review said it was like a Daft Punky something. Well, I mean, if, 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 you, if you actually listen to the song, I mean, it's, it really is not a good right. song um, that, that got reviewed. And I could sort of see, like, honestly, like, I would have to agree with the reviewer. Mm-hmm. But I loved that they took it and they turned it around and they ended up making a completely different style of music. I'm not a huge fan of uh, Human After All, the, the album that... Yeah, that's that's the rough spot. Yeah. That's the and rough and, spot. Uh, and once I did some research about it, I realized like, yeah, they only worked on it for a few weeks. Like I, I read uh, I read into it and they, they said they that they dedicated like six weeks to creating a new album. And I was like, hmm. a month and a couple weeks, that's it. So between that and random access memories, which I personally think is a fucking masterpiece of an album it's great they spent like a ton of years like i was like that's what you guys need to do if you're gonna and and they made what is probably their best album um in my opinion so but yeah um let's see harder better faster stronger it's it's interesting that you love that record because i mean in a a way it is very movie-like yeah no it's very cinematic it tells a story it it uh like I can listen kind of like a story of just electronic and dance music in general. Yeah, but I mean like I can listen to to that album and it's so different from all their other things. I can't believe I forgot to mention this. I'm a huge jazz fan. Uh oh. I love jazz. And and I'm not not like hipster jazz, you know, like go to a club and snap my fingers. I I I, I really Okay, like well like what passes for okay, just just name a couple jazz records you like or jazz players. Um, my favorite uh person who's ever done any type of jazz is not a jazz musician uh her name is yoko kano she's a japanese composer for anime oh yeah. she did uh i mean those those cowboy bebop yeah. songs are oh amazing my God, yes uh but in, and she also did uh kids on the slope which is an anime film about a jazz uh trio band and she she worked with mm-hmm. all the the you know the the um, a pianist or a pianist, whatever you want to say, and uh, a drummer to create some really great stuff. And but yeah, I love old-fashioned Miles Davis. Um, one of my favorite film soundtracks of all time, and I don't know if you've ever heard it, but check out if you haven't Michael Mann's Collateral. Uh, it has the Roots. It's got mm-hmm. uh, Groove Armada, uh, uh, the Class Brothers, all these like great slow jam music i just i love that stuff like it's it's relaxing to me i see city nightlife brimming with orange street lights in my head and cars going by and i can hear it just like i i i feel like i'm in a beautiful city when i hear amazing jazz music and yeah i've always had a sure. very soft spot for it I just want to, uh, I mean, I don't want to have to extend the podcast any further than it go has ahead, to. Go ahead, man. I'm love good. To rec- just love to recommend a ton of records. No, go to ahead. You. I'm good. I got um, plenty of time. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you want to, uh, uh, well, I mean, uh, let, let, let me, let me close out. Let me, let me, let me recommend a few. Okay. 
records to you that are recent and 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 you please recommend me a few movies that are recent that you're head over heels for okay. let me get and, a and call let me get it. a uh, I think they're right on here so I can yeah, absolutely oh wow you're yeah no I'll actually I'll, I'll actually pay attention <laughs> I will take this into okay. deep consideration okay I have I have I have a sharpie okay. and a pad right now well I have my right. very old-fashioned notes app on my iPhone okay there you go um <laughs> A little more new school than me. All right. So j- just based off of what you just sort of recommended, um, <clears throat> I, I, I would recommend to you, not that I've loved everything that this artist has done. I mean, um, uh, uh, a lot of people are sort of uh, mad at me because they have given his stuff some, some negative reviews. But, you know, I'm just kind of recommending it based on what you've said about Michael Jackson. Uh, this guy who makes music under the name The Weeknd. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just spell it like weekend, but you have to take out the E in end. It's kind of just end. So weekend. Instead of the, so the weekend. Okay. That guy, I mean, it's much slower. It's much sadder. It's much more depressing R&B in one sense. Okay. But uh, he, his vocals in a lot of ways, he, he pulls right from Michael. And he has this uh, third project called Thursday, which I believe is, is my favorite project of his. And he actually does a cover of Michael Jackson's Dirty Diana on it. Dirty Diana. Which, yeah. Yeah, which isn't too bad. So definitely try him. I'm out. a big um, R&B fan, too. I, I grew up loving Boys to Men. and uh, I had that Boys to Men tape, too, man. Yeah, I had. And TLC. One of my favorite songs on their one of their albums is not a single. It's actually a, a B-side song. It's called You Know. Mm-hmm. Check it out sometime. Okay. Um uh, given given your love of jazz, I'm going to give you a jazz like a mountain of jazz right okay. here. This this new record called the Epic from the saxophonist composer, this band leader, his name is Kamasi Washington, and it's a triple album, but it's kind of like three separate albums together. Like each record has a great intro track, has a great outro track. Don't feel like you need to listen to all the records at Mm -hmm. once you know slowly digest each one just treat just treat it as if you've been handed three different albums and you're going to get around to the next two when you do you know but that is an amazing jazz album which is very diverse everything from the hard bop stuff to just smoother stuff to vocal jazz and funk jazz and uh there's there's a really amazing cover on there of claire uh de lune oh nice Um, nice uh, which they did a really amazing jazz rendition of that on the third, uh, on the third disc. Which I I uh, I honestly just got a chill up my spine just thinking about that track because of how good awesome. it is. Awesome. Um, and 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 a, a two more. Um, you know, if 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 you're looking for some R and B, that's that's newer that has a very interesting kind of. Uh, kind of alternative direction to it. Uh, this singer by the name of uh, FKA Twigs has this record out by the name of LP1. And, and it's easily the most progressive, oddball R&B record I've ever heard, but she's got such a great voice. And the instrumentals are just really crazy detailed and, and modern. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of like a, a, a film that just has a really strange, abstract, modern aesthetic that... 
that you can liken this record to, but there, there's there's not really anything that 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 I could think no, of. You, I mean, it's it's kind of in, it's kind of impressionistic. No, in a way. you got me. You know why? Because you, you've got me down. You de- you definitely understand. Because uh, in here in my notes, I I kid you not, I was at a, a record store the other day, and mm. I said, "What is this song?" And it was they. they I have it right here. LP one. Nice. written down already in my notes so definitely check that out and then and then finally another jazz record but it's it's a really cool modern approach involving electronic music and and a bit of uh influence from hip-hop and uh and and editing as well but um uh uh flying lotus's new record are you do you know him at all definitely heard the name he's a he's a great producer electronic music producer coltrane relative Okay. And he works with uh, people like Herbie Hancock on this new record of his and uh, more modern players like this uh, fantastic virtuoso bassist by the name of Thundercat. And uh, his new record, again, it's titled You're Dead. You're yeah. Dead. And that album is uh, freaking amazing. And, uh, you know, th- there are some people, uh, uh, if, if you go into that record, uh, into the features list and on the uh, musicians list, you could you could individually look up a lot of those musicians and see that they have amazing records too. Like Thundercat, who's all over that record, has great music. Kendrick Lamar, who's featured on that record, has great music. So uh, you know, don't hesitate to sort of look up the people that he works with on that record cool. too. I definitely will. I got to ask you a quick question, musical related. Um, sure. Are you at all into like classic rock or '80s guitar solo band type deal? I, I think so, yeah. I mean, what what band, okay. uh, in your opinion, sort of fits so that? So there's band? a song that uh, in a band that I feel is very underrated and uh, a musical artist in general. His name is Mark Knopfler, uh, mm-hmm. uh, lead singer of Dire Straits in the 80s. And okay. he did a song called Sultans of Swing. And if you ever feel like listening to like an 11-minute uh, guitar orgasm, um, check that out, the live alchemy version of sultans of swing and the final four minutes i i just i get goosebumps it's amazing that's awesome so so is that does that track take a, a kind of a jazz tone as no well? it's hardcore not hardcore like, uh, but it's just like very it's just like straight yeah. rock um and okay. he's not the best singer on earth uh but his lyrics are are very meaningful if you if you look into them and read them uh and but his his control of the guitar is is godly. Like I, I have mm. people always talk about Jimi Hendrix or you know um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and I'm always like Mark Knopfler, man, check him out sometime. He, he really knows his shit. Yeah, there are a lot of um, I mean there there are a lot of amazing guitarists out there that are sort of off the beaten path mm-hmm. or just guys who are sort of around that same time and and are. Uh, known more for other things than they are just for their amazing guitar playing. I mean, Prince in his own right was an amazing guitar player. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, if if you listen to records like 1999 and and Purple Rain, you'll hear some amazing guitar Mm -hmm. playing all over that album. Uh, Frank Zappa, you know, amazing guitar Mm -hmm. player, though he's kind of known more for being like a weird musical oddball than he is just a great guitar player, though he was incredibly influential to guys like Steve Vai who helped him, you know, kind of like transcribe his solos so that he could work them into these big compositions that he would create. Um, 
but uh, you know, and, and and we have some modern characters as well, like Jack White and and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, who are who are fantastic guitar players in their own right. But uh, but yeah, um, uh, I've written that down. Uh, so so recommend to me, and and the listeners as well. You know, sort of sort of movie wise. You know what what you're really crazy about lately. What just sticks out to you from this past year, maybe the few past years, is like you know just really amazing sure. stuff. Um... I don't know if you got a chance to see Mad Max Fury Road. Oh okay. yeah, I mean that movie was fucking balls to the wall insanity. Yeah, I I love um, it. I love it. I uh, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> it was just so over the it top. Was. Like for you know from from the the battle scenes were just amazing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's uh uh, I I think I think there are things that I I kind of nitpick at in movies and maybe it's because like I'm not always watching movies and maybe if like it was just my home base I would be uh a little more forgiving just like probably you know uh, the, the there are probably things that would probably make it that would that would be obnoxious to you in albums that I think are the greatest thing to ever exist sure. um but yeah I mean that movie was just such an onslaught like by the time it was over I felt like I ran a marathon I felt yeah. like I was there in every battle scene, I was just like, ah, ah, yeah, ah, ah. like I was watching the movie and I'm like, okay, in every action movie, there's gotta be some point at which it slows down and all the characters are like, you know, kind of having a bit of a powwow around a fire or some shit like that. And I'm just like, how are they going to do that? Like, how is that even going to occur? Know. You know? And, and, and then when they got kind of caught, you know, sort of in the middle of the desert and it was night, I was like, okay, you know, that's, that's working. You know, that's, that's, that's logical. It's sort of, it's sort of a uh, uh, that that definitely fits, but I just wish um, uh, I just wish Tom Hardy had a little bit more dialogue in that movie, yeah. and and not and not at the at the uh, uh, the hand of taking uh, uh, lines away from Charlize Theron because she was amazing. But I mean, you know, even a uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but who played one of the uh, henchmen, one of the white guys who also played Beast in the X Men movie. Holt. Um, yes, he even had more lines than Tom yeah, Hardy. What a lovely day! <laughs> it's a lovely day. Yeah, but I mean, you know, but but he was along for an amazing ride, and I mean, you know, it was it was really crazy, and uh, you know, just the editing on the uh, the fight scenes and everything was just so raw, and uh, and just so uh, um, it, it was just as overwhelming as everything else that was going on. It was just so killer. It was just nonstop adrenaline from beginning to end. Okay, so this year so far hasn't been very impressive movie wise. Um... Really, most of the films that I've seen that I was really excited about were maybe I even if I liked the movie, it was disappointing because I wanted to love it. Like I didn't love mm-hmm. Avengers two. I just I liked it. You know, I didn't love Ant Man. I liked it. Uh, didn't didn't love Tomorrowland. I enjoyed it. You know, it's like it, it's certain. I suppose uh, a movie that's come out this year that I thought was pretty impressive that not a lot of people have talked about is called Predestination, and it's with uh, mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook. Sarah Snook was uh, from Australia, and she is going places. She was amazing. Uh, haven't posted my review for it yet because I just saw it, but uh, Southpaw really liked it. Yeah, how was really that? Liked it. Yes. Really? And it, it follows... Uh, every boxing cliche you can possibly think of. And 
it yeah. embraced i mean it really has that working against it i mean there's so many infamous boxing films out there and just fighting films yeah. now in general now that the ufc is kind of become incredibly popular and wrestling films too but it embraces and, it though um, it, it doesn't it, yeah. it's not it's just like yeah we know we're gonna have a boxing movie with family drama and a down on his luck dad who needs his daughter and the big final climactic <laughs> boxing match you know it's like yeah. it's all there you could re you could take all the characters in this movie replace them with sylvester stallone and you'd have rocky six and that's uh -huh. th that's what it is but it's so well acted and so uh uniquely directed by antoine fuqua who made training day uh, yeah. And he he brought a really gritty realism to the movie, and and Gyllenhaal is of course just he's been knocking it out of the park in every movie lately, and he's magnificent in the role. But I gotta say, yeah, I mean, great great acting can really elevate. Oh, just sure, okay sure. Script, you know, I mean, because they're you know if it's convincing, you know, I mean that that was my favorite thing about Birdman that it all just felt so convincing. Yeah, and I gotta say, though, I mean, everybody's acting was so intense. The most surprising part of uh, 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 Southpaw is his daughter this little girl man i'm not exaggerating she is worthy of a best supporting actress nomination she was just fucking phenomenal like i believed every word out of her mouth and she she couldn't have been more than eight or nine uh, she sure. was great um so this year i'm still kind of waiting for like except for fury road and i loved when marnie was there the uh, studio ghibli's possible last film which is sad but I loved that movie. Inside Out was very good. But um, speaking of last year, give you a couple things. Uh, did you have a chance to? Before before you say that, really quick, what did you think of Dope? Was Dope good? Did Dope? Turn yeah, I like Dope a lot. I like Dope a lot, okay. and you would really like it more probably even because because it's it has a lot of stuff about like uh, uh, music, tons of stuff. I, yeah. A great soundtrack. Great. Yeah, I've 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 heard. I've been meaning to sort of make make the time to great watch it. hip hop soundtrack. Um. And and lots of scenes where characters just sit down and discuss like the inception of hip hop and how hip hop became to be and just like stuff that doesn't actually have to do with the story. But there's tons of musical discussion. You you definitely dig it. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I gave it a, a B plus. I think it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Last year, mm -hmm. a couple indie films. You asked me about indie films. I loved Enemy with with uh, Gyllenhaal. Confusing as hell. I made a thirty minute video about it. <laughs> Um, yeah, Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson, another very. I loved Under oh, the good. Skin. Oh, good. That movie was good. creepy. Good. Yeah, that's a that's a the very divisive movie. Very divisive. It's a very just really skin crawling movie, and I loved that she. You know, it's it seems like in the internet age, big actresses like her can sort of duck out to do a strange, more low key movie like yeah. that, and it's totally cool. Yeah, and she she rocked it. Um. I'll give you one more. Did you see the Babadook? No. Okay, no. you mentioned you liked horror. Uh, the Babadook is a very low-budget Australian-made film, female director, female lead, um, mm. and uh, Jennifer Kent is her name. And she has given, in my opinion, uh, the best directorial debut I have seen in years. And I'm not just judging it based on uh, gender, man or woman, best directorial debut I've seen in years. It's a very uh, skin crawling movie. Uh, it, don't watch the trailer, please. <laughs> it, it markets it as a monster film. 
It is not a monster movie. It's a psychological thriller. Okay. That you just made that sound really enticing. Good, 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 good. <laughs> Which is your job. So that's, that's I, I'm glad. That's... <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, I want to listen to some of the albums you recommended. So, yeah, please do. Please do. And, you know, if we can get together and do a video and talk about a soundtrack or something. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I just love the Indiana Jones soundtrack. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, 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 some, if some movie comes out with a, a really great soundtrack, um, you know, that, that people are asking me to talk about, I would love to have you on just to uh, uh, talk about I it. I would be. You know, I mean, you know, I could, I could talk about what's going on musically, and I would love to sort of hear from you how it, in your opinion, sort of enhances the film. I would be more than happy to do that. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to thank my guest, Chris Stuckman. I will link you guys down to his YouTube channel in the description box where you check out his fantastic movie reviews. Thank you for the recommendations, and thank you for coming on to talk I to me. I had a great time, dude. You're really fun to talk to, and uh, I appreciate uh, all the, the nice things. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.